sounds of noted American slacker Steve Malcolmus and his Jicks herald another episode of Fangraphs Audio, and not just Fangraphs Audio, but the Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. Hello, I am your host, Carson Stooley, and with me is the editor of our fantasy-specific site, Rotographs, the editor of that, Eno Saris. In what follows, Eno and I draw our attention towards the trade deadline, look not only at the possible role changes for traded players, but also the depth chart vacancies that those same players have left behind. At some point after that, we also discuss Lucas Duda and what Eno has learned from what might be rightly called his irrational fascination with Duda before the season began. Finally, at some point in the middle of the podcast, Eno and I forget that J.A. Happ is, of course, no longer an astro. The listener is certainly invited to point and laugh as that scenario unfolds. It's Fangraphs Audio. It features Rotographs editor Eno Saris, and it begins, indeed, right now. That have uh, fruit taste. Uh, Lambic. Lambic, right, right, right. Now, is that is that a style of beer or is that a company? That's a style of beer. Oh, okay, yeah, and, Lambic. Uh, so. And it is it's like a Belgian fruit beer. And what I actually like doing, and this is interesting because uh, there's a little fangraph connection. Uh, Appleman loves sours, um, and what I've done a little bit because I find the Lambics a little bit sweet. Um, I've taken the Lambic and mixed it with a sour. Uh, and that's given me sort of a sort of a sweet and sour beer. Um, yeah, I know that. Uh, uh, of course, Appleman is our uh, is the owner and uh, founder and owner of Fangraphs. He has an adventurous palate. Mm-hmm. He um, there's a sort of cheese he likes that is um, if you put it in your refrigerator even momentarily, it uh, it changes <laughs> it changes like the the entire um, the entire inside of it. it. It affects the smell of it. I'm, now I'm trying to think, though. Oh, yeah, it's called a uh, Ipoise. The makeup of your entire fridge. <laughs> Let me uh, consult my my wife here. Is it Ipoise? This sort of cheese, a very smelly cheese. Ipoise? Ipoise. Yeah, all right. I think it's Ipoise. Oh, with was Ipoise. Okay. Yeah, we yeah, had it at oh. that restaurant, in fact. We had it at the restaurant yeah. in Los Angeles. I remember it still. My 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 taste buds remember that one. Yeah, right, right. There it is. There it is. Okay. Uh, so fantasy baseball. Um, That's right. You are here to discuss fantasy baseball. You know, typically, what we've done, at least over the first half of the season, you know, is, you know, start off with a report maybe on relief pitchers, and then we've moved on to injuries, perhaps, or prospects. However, since we're approaching the trade deadline, uh, if it's all right with you, I'd like to look, first of all, at how some trades uh, might affect roster composition, might make some players more desirable, others less so. And then uh, perhaps we could speculate as to some trades that might happen, or at least, for example, if you know if Zach Greinke uh, is to leave, and, and just today, I believe, although it's you know widely speculated anyway, uh, Brewers GM Doug Melvin has announced that you know, it's almost a foregone conclusion uh, that Grinky will be traded before the deadline. We could talk maybe about who who will benefit uh, from those sorts of moves and 
and what owners can do about that sort of thing. Yeah, let's does, do that. Does that sound reasonable? It does. Yeah. And then if we have time, we could talk about Lucas Duda and what you've learned about your your rational interest in him. Yeah, it's not. It hasn't gone well for you, you know. All right, all right. Uh, but first of all, uh, well, let's start with the m- most recent and maybe most exciting trade, which uh, concerns uh, Hanley Ramirez and Randy Choate, but maybe not Randy Choate as much as Hanley Ramirez. Hanley Ramirez has been at points uh, in the past, and in, in really the not very distant past, has been one of the most, if not the most, valuable. Uh, fantasy player, you know, by any number of formats, because he's a power hitting shortstop. He qualifies at shortstop in most leagues this year, although offensively he has not been as good. What does the departure? I mean, what do what do we know about how does how does this this trade of Hanley Ramirez? How does it change? Does it change Hanley Ramirez's value at all? I don't think so. Uh, I think the main thing that it does. Uh, is give him some hope in the dynasty leagues of retaining that shortstop eligibility, actually. Uh, now that you mentioned it, that just occurred to me. Because, uh, you know, D. Gordon has his flaws, and uh, he's going to be out a little bit longer. They're going to at least want to play Henley uh, at short, because he's probably better than Juan Uribe at this point in their careers um, at that position. And then there might even be a chance that Hanley uh, plays short once um, once uh, D. Gordon comes back because of those flaws. So I think uh, it, it's pretty interesting. I know there's already been talk about that happening, and um, I don't know. I, that would I would actually make that would actually be the most interesting thing to come out of this because I don't think that the park uh, is anything better for Hanley. Um, and we, and we, and you know, the sample on his, you know, on the, on the nasty side of, of, uh, of Hanley's career is sort of getting larger and larger. And we're not really seeing any, any hope of him pulling out of it. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I, there could be a motivation factor. I feel really uncomfortable talking about those sort of things because, you know, I would assume that, you know, a major league baseball player is motivated to do his best at all times. And I don't really believe that, you know, he's really been dogging it for two years and now, you know, now that he's on the Dodgers instead of, you know, you know, the, the Marlins made a push to add new players. That wasn't motivating enough. I don't know. I, 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 I doubt that it's motivation that's been missing. So. Right. And I think, yeah, it's really, it would just be an exercise in armchair psychology because I think you could just as easily, well, the point you could make, I suppose, is that what this move reveals is that Hanley Ramirez is not as prized by the Marlins as he would have been at one point, or you know, uh, because in in this it was also made manifest uh, by Dave Cameron's recent trade value series, wh- you know, where Hanley Ramirez um, had frequently appeared in the top 25 or you know perhaps even top 10 if I'm remembering correctly, and uh, I'm not even sure he was on the list this year. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he really he really dropped off, and um, yeah, I, I had some high hopes for him. I I was uh, touting him as a you know top two two like second round. I th- I was saying he's a second round guy. He, you know, shortstop is so bad that I I don't think that 
you know, he's been so terrible in, in the fantasy game that, um, you know, anybody's really upset about the pick that he's used on him. I mean, Tulo got hurt, and, you know, even at the bottom, Ibar, guys like that have been terrible. So shortstop has been was bad to begin the season, and he's only gotten worse. So, you know, there's a chance that Hanley is still like a top three, four shortstop. Um, but in terms of real-life value, you know, it's just uh, the power kind of disappeared. The, right, the power disappeared, and, of course, you know, it's possible that that's due to uh, Marlin Stadium, which I, I think has been uh, suppressing offense, uh, th- you know, through the uh, through the beginning part of the season. Uh, now, what you mentioned that that D Gordon, uh, you know, the presence of D Gordon somehow affects Hanley Ramirez. Um, what, uh, you know, is there a chance that Hanley Ramirez could could play D Gordon out of a job? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it mostly has to do with um, the glove. If, if uh, you know, because Hamley's glove was declining too, and D. Gordon can play a good uh, defensive shortstop. So if, you know, L.A. puts him out there and just decides that Hamley can't play short, then D. Gordon is the best option probably, you know, better than Justin Sellers. Um, you know, when looked at overall. So if Hanley can manage short, but, you know, Hanley was a pretty bad shortstop, um, and he got moved out of position. It's not, you know, it's, it's pretty rare to see people go back, you know, once they're moving down the, the defensive spectrum. We saw Miguel Cabrera try third after being sort of iffy at first, and that was like, you know, something that only happened three, four times in history of baseball. So... You know, to be a bad shortstop, get moved off it because you're bad, and then go back to shortstop is also rare. So I, I would say that D. Gordon still has a future with L.A., um, and uh, it could even be this year. Okay. So, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think that I would, in a deep league, I wouldn't drop D. Gordon. In a, in a 12-teamer, um, I have and would drop D. Gordon because just because... They could fake it for a half year, you know, to, to, to get all the offense they can on the field, you know, to get them to, to, to really make a push. They might, they might do it, but I doubt that they do it over a long period of time. Now, the player who started, um, see, so we're doing, we're recording on a Thursday. The player who started Wednesday night in Hanley Ramirez's absence was Donovan Solano, I believe. Uh, you actually recently wrote about Donovan Solano too. Donovan Solano is somehow relevant. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, yeah. You know, he's suddenly important and somehow relevant. Uh, he uh, he's a, he's a guy that was you know touted for his glove coming up uh, in the Cardinals organization, and and you know there was always question about his bat, and they you know oh he'll stick it short at least, and now he's playing third for. The Marlins, which I think says more about uh, the situation they have at third now that they trade away Matt Dominguez um, and Donnie Murphy is their other choice, uh, their other only available bat at third. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, everyone looks over their shoulder until, you know, Donovan Solano raises his hand and says, I can play third. Right. I mean, he, Donovan Solano is listed at 5'9", which is... <laughs> means he's not very big. It's a small person, generally. Um, what has he done 
in based on what he's done, what do we think he's going to do as a starter? Very little. Um, he uh, and I and I'm trying not to be rude, you know, because he's a he's a way better baseball player than I am, and I and that's just like sort of a caveat that sh- people should understand. Uh, but he just doesn't he doesn't have power, he doesn't have speed, uh, he doesn't walk, and he strikes out a little bit more than a guy should who doesn't have power. So the bat is not very exciting. So, yeah, that that sounds like he does all of the things that you're not supposed to do, really. Yeah. <laughs> now, is he qualifying? Well, right now he's getting some bad with love. So is he qualifying at right shortstop? Now okay. Is he qualifying at shortstop in leagues at the moment? In some leagues he will because he uh, played it in the minor leagues, and if there's not enough information in the major leagues, um, a lot of uh, uh, different platforms will just plug in what he did in the minors. So. If you play him short in the in a deep league, then that's probably what I would do with him. Okay. Uh, so you're not very excited about him, though. It sounds like. No. no okay. Yeah. That's 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 what I'm g- grasping here. Uh, let's see. So I think that that maybe is it. I mean, you mentioned that Matt Dominguez is gone. Donnie Murphy is not really an option. You know, if as you expect, Donovan Solano, uh, you know, is not really an acceptable replacement. Which is to say, he ends up being below replacement level. Do you, do you think Donnie Murphy is the next guy they, to which they churn, or you know, do you think that maybe they do like a small trade for just somebody else? Well, the the, the big rumor is Josh Johnson for something like Mike Old, um, and uh, that's an interesting rumor. Um, I think the Braves probably have a couple third base prospects that are better than anything the Marlins have, and the Braves have been interested in Josh Johnson. But the weird thing is that from a roster construction standpoint, if the Marlins are going to be competitive anytime soon, what they need is pitching. They've got some good young offensive pieces. If Lomo gets it going, you know, there's certain pieces there. Stanton is a building block. Uh, they need pitching. So why would they trade Josh Johnson if they need pitching? That's that's a little weird to me. That would, that would make it be a little bit more like a fire sale to me. If, if Josh Johnson goes, because they—that's what they need. They need pitching, and they traded, they traded Hamley for pitching. So, anyway, the point is, I don't, I'm not sure that Josh Johnson's going to go. And so, if he doesn't go, then they're not going to get an elite third baseman. Uh, if they do a smaller trade for third baseman, that might be a possibility. Another one, because they've done this before, is Bonifacio at third, and then uh, Chris Coughlin uh, came up in the organization as a second baseman. So. Not the best defensive arrangement, but Braves is a pretty good defender. Um, and if they can find a center fielder that they like, and Reggiano's, I'm actually working on a Reggiano piece for tomorrow. Uh, Reggiano's playing all right in center field. If they can do that, then that might work. I mean, Bonifacio is, is more useful or more more valuable to the team on the infield, and maybe he he can play first. Oh yeah, that's true. I, yeah, Ruggiano has been playing quite a bit of center field. Was that in place of an injured Bonifacio, or is Bonifacio elsewhere uh, on the field? Well, there was a there was a point when Stanton was hurt uh, and Bonifacio was hurt, so Ruggiano was playing center. When Bonifacio came back and Hanley was there, uh, Bonifacio played center, Hanley played third, and Ruggiano played Stanton's position. Um, so I think we're still sort of gathering information on what they're going to do. Yeah, that's right. Right, but uh, and and now what is Bonifacio qualifying at right now? Does he still have sort of residual shortstop qualification? 
Uh, he played a number, oh, yeah. of, number of positions last year, I know. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's a sort of a great player to have. Uh, I, I actually really, you know, he's one of those guys where when he was going great, he was overvalued. Um, and then because, you know, and especially in Sabre Leagues, he got a little bit undervalued because people were like, oh, gosh, he can't walk and he has no power and this and that. Uh, but I picked him up in a couple of my leagues, and I'm happy to have him um, because you can play him. Let me see where I've got him. In Yahoo, you can play him at short in the outfield uh, and second and third. Yeah. He's so, sort of like what, what Sean Figgins was in real yeah. baseball when he was not not his later years with the Angels because I think his position was more set at that point, but sort of uh, – the middle years, coming yeah, Sean, yeah, right, Sean Figgins, sort of, yeah, early to middle years with the Angels, where they would play him everywhere, and I guess they still do that to a certain degree with Maestro's Turris, who is valuable for that reason that he offers you above, you know, above replacement level production, basically anywhere on on the diamond. If if you can have a player like that in fantasy, like I know right now, um, I also uh, recently picked up Luis Valbuena, who is not playing excellently, but he does have pretty good um, he does have pretty good minor league numbers, and he's playing more or less every day third base with the Cubs. So that Luis Valbuena is a pick like that, where you know if uh, you know if you're trying if you like in Autonew, you know because Autonew, um, at least on the, the format we play in the staff league, which is the linear weights format, the game the games played cap for position players is 162. So, if you could just put anywhere, anyone in, in to fill a position for a day, you're probably going to get positive points, and it's you know it's, so in that way it's not going to hurt you. So Valbuena is good for that because you can kind of you can kind of put him in like that, and and it sounds like Bonifacio is kind of um, the best version of that sort of player. Yeah, for sure. And you know it's it's amazing how hard it is to hit your uh, games played limits in I'd say most in most leagues. You know, I have I have some leagues where I haven't had injuries, and I'm still minus five, minus eight at the position. And it's not like I have eight off days, you know, eight eight light days where I'm going to really get all those games back. Even mm-hmm. if I, you know, even if I have a nice bench and moving around. So. Right, it's a struggle sometimes to to meet those requirements. You, you don't think of it like that always, always at the beginning of the season. You think you think about quality, but. Um, I think really from the beginning of the season, you should play a full lineup all the way through, uh, and just and and you know always if someone's hurt, always put someone in. You know, just always, you know that's that's something I I fell behind on a little bit this year. I blame the baby, but um, that's good. Yeah, blame yeah, your child as much as you can just from the beginning. I think we've mentioned this before. <laughs> And in public. All of your failures. And in, and in some sort of recordable fashion. Yeah, that, so definitely. That, that will be posted literally to tens of people. But important people, one imagines. <laughs> well, then they can, you know, then obviously my child can find it uh, later and feel really good about themselves. Right. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so, all right, so that's the whole Hanley situation. Ooh, pirates acquire. Well, this is exciting. Uh, oh, no, that's the uh, that's the, that's the deal with the Blue Jays because it involved Francisco Cordero. Uh, but we'll talk about him in a second. Pirates acquire Wandy Rodriguez, though. I'm kind of going with most relevant here. Uh, the Pirates 
actually, uh, and I haven't looked at the, the the team numbers in the last you know week or two, but it, they probably have their top two pitchers this year in Bedard and Burnett are probably better than any top two pitchers they've had in previous, in, in, certainly in recent years, and they've added a third pitcher who's sort of capable of that kind of performance in Wandy Rodriguez. Um, so who do, so do we know who Wandy Rodriguez bumps from the that rotation in Pittsburgh? Do you have that at the ready? No, I do not. Um, I will try to get it, but it is a it is sort of a scrap heap rotation, isn't it? I mean, well, after I, those I two, like yeah. Each of them. I mean, Kevin Correa. I kind of like each of them. Yeah, that's probably the guy who's gone. Yeah. Right. Uh, or Carson. So the back end is Carson's. Carson's Correa and what are we looking at? Are you seriously looking? Are you browsing the internet right now? Yeah. Okay. Good. Just want to make sure that this, this is. No, but off the top of my head, I knew it was Carson's, Carson's and Correa and James McDonald. Oh, McDonald. James McDonald. Don't right. Get on McDonald. Well, and of course McDonald. Right. Those are actually they're they're kind of deep in a way. I mean, I would say that it, it's hard to match up any of those guys against any of the Nationals' top three or whatever, but. Uh, I mean, to go to have Wandy as maybe your fourth best or third best starter, and and Korea as a long man, I think that's uh, yeah, sure. Korea's going to go. Yeah, I think that that's a decent rotation. I, and I actually really like Wandy in Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh suppresses righty power, um, and as a lefty, you know, the platoon, you know, righties righties like lefties anyway. To have the righty's power suppressed and, and Wandy leaving Houston, I, I sort of like him there. Right, and now Wandy's departure from Houston, and I should note that um, it's typically uh, a very it's a very picture of bad taste and bad form to call baseball players by their first name. There are exceptions, though. I think Pedro Martinez can be Pedro. I think Manny Ramirez can be Manny, or it could be <laughs> Manny. And I. And I I'm going to call Wandy Rodriguez. Yeah, you're right. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rodriguez <laughs> is a rather popular. It's a rather popular last name, common, and Wandy is a is a is a fun name. It's hard. It's hard to to stay down. It's hard to stay down in those yeah. dumps, uh, Eno Saris, when you're saying the word Wandy a bunch. Yeah, I can't. I can't call him W Rod or some people call him Way Rod. Well, that sounds miserable. The um, the uh, so so who's now. Uh, the Astros have thrown a bunch of guys this year. I'm not really sure that that Wandy's departure from Houston really opens up a spot for anyone particularly interesting, except for if Jordan Lyles is called up, or I guess if Rudy Owens, who comes over, is inserted into the major league rotation directly. Yeah, it's um, not I really mean, a question. It's more of a it's a more of a prompt. You know, that's one style well, of interviewing. I'm calling up uh, Oberholzer's numbers right now. Brett, Ober- uh, Brett Oberholzer? That, yeah, he's the left who came over from the Braves. But he's uh, he's got decent control. The strikeouts went down with the Astros, and uh, he's in triple A right now with a six-and-a-half ERA um, and a five almost close to six FIP, so... Well, oh, gosh, the home runs. Right, it doesn't sound like up. it would be imminent. Yeah. It doesn't sound like a call-up is imminent for Brett Oberholzer, is what you're suggesting. Oh. All right. No, and uh, Cozart, 
I wonder what Cozart's doing, but he was he's always seemed to me kind of like a bullpen guy. This is Jared Cozart? Yeah. Okay. So I think it probably is um probably is Lyles. Yeah, I mean if fact, anyone, right? Already I mean, could, with it. They could hit just he's have like six it. more J A Haps somewhere lying around. <laughs> I'm not sure that I mean no one really would begrudge you the other twenty nine organizations wouldn't begrudge you, I don't think, for cloning J.A. Happ. He's not really like a, a threat, is he? Uh, he's just a, <laughs> a person who's allowed, who's physically capable of of throwing uh, as a starter, but not necessarily one who's capable of dominating. I mean, he's had decent starts, I think, uh, early on, but not so much not so much the case now. But yeah, so I guess, I guess Jordan Lyles has been starting for them, and then you know, Cozart's still pretty interesting. He's got a, you know, right now he's suffering from Valor, but he had a three five two ERA and double A and was striking out seven for nine. I don't understand that. He's got a nice fastball. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, the Astros pitching. Geez, how are they going to turn that around? Good luck, Mike Bass. Right. Right. Well, and in any case, that's his, I mean, and Rudy Owens is a sort of a, a soft tosser who. Uh, at least at his best, has excellent control, um, maybe a decent off-speed pitch. Um, so that's a possibility, someone to watch for. I mean, they don't play in the best park necessarily, Houston, but they end up playing a lot of games against, obviously, National League teams and, uh, in particular, National League Central teams. So that's not always the worst sort of thing to be happening. Uh, they can match them up occasionally. Uh, Robbie so Gross... Did they get any arms in the, in the half deal? Did they get any arms? Did who? Did uh, the Astros get any arms in the half deal? What did they get in the half deal? Any other arms? Yeah. I don't know. Owens came over in the long deal. That's what I'm, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It Hap- happened last year. They traded Hap, yeah. They traded J.A. Hap? Yeah. Who did? You're saying J.A. Hap doesn't play for that team anymore? No. Oh, yeah, look at that. Oh, this is uh, podcast magic is what this is. <laughs> Where the hell did J.A. Happ go? <laughs> he got traded the Blue Jays in the Coco deal. Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about that deal then. That would make sense. Uh, so what was that deal then? You have, uh, you have that at the ready? Well, let me, yeah, let me try to get that one going. I know it was uh, Brandon Lyon. Um, oh, right. Brandon Lyon was involved going the other way. Um, and I guess Jay Happ was involved in going the other way. Uh, I feel like there's another yeah, sort of piece that didn't really seem to make a lot of sense. Yeah, I don't know why they traded the way Happ. I mean, he was still under control for a while, but let me see. There must be another arm cut they got back because uh, Cordero is not a centerpiece. David Carpenter. No, oh. that's, they, they, they traded him away. So, oh, Asher Wojciechowski and... Uh, Joe Musgrove, I think Wojciechowski is the pitcher there. Right, right. And, then, and then in addition to that, there was uh, Francisco Cordero and... Carlos Perez is a catcher. So they got Francisco Cordero, uh, Ben Francisco, right. uh, platoon outfielder. Joe Musgrove, I don't know. David Rollins, I don't know. Carlos Perez is a catcher. Okay, yeah, right. So, it, yeah, there's a lot of players involved. So they don't have Hap anymore. Yeah, they don't even have Hap to call them. Right. Well, there you are. There's that deal. Now, Francisco Cordero um, has been given save opportunities. 
uh, and he's I think he's failed to um, he's he's failed to do the deal on, in either case. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, is he going to be? Is he going to be? I saw a note. Wondering if he was going to retire. <laughs> is he going to be a closer still? I mean, is he going to be their closer still? You know, uh, uh, I know it's important as a fantasy owner. I mean, certainly one in which saves are a category to to find saves where they might be. But there must be some threshold for for value that Francisco Cordero is dangerously approaching. Yeah, I I uh, I would just skip over. The Cordero situation. I don't. I, I'm not uh, buying Coco. So I, I bought. Uh, I was. I picked up Wilton Lopez a couple times, and it's interesting because I actually just um, wrote a piece today for Getting Blank uh, that uh, I do a, a piece there where I, I reference um, some recent research and uh, make it fantasy relevant. And um, I actually used a, a Fangraphs piece. Michael Barr wrote about how this is the year of the whiff or the reliever whiff. And he found that there are more 40% strikeout rates this year among relievers than there have ever been before. Uh, the average reliever strikeout rate is going up. Uh, just, just in general, relievers are striking out more. There's, you know, strikeout rates going up across baseball in general, but it's also really being found in the in the reliever um, pool. And uh, I, I took a look at. Um, the top 30 in saves this year and last year. And last year, uh, the top 30 in saves struck out. And I used strike out for nine just because it was easier for the math. Um, but last year, they were striking out about an, a batter per inning. And this year, the top 30 in saves are striking out 10 per nine. So I like Wilton Lopez, and I'll pick him up in leagues where I need saves. But you also are costing yourself. Um, you know, if you have a guy like Jim Johnson with a five five strikeouts per nine, you you by this point in the season you cost yourself almost thirty strikeouts. Ah, uh, uh, yes, right. And Wilton Lopez, we should say, yeah. strikes out about seven per nine. Most Lopez of his Lopez and Johnson are not, yeah, not no, matter, but he's not a ten per nine guy. Which all of a sudden ten per nine is average for a closer. Right. Um, uh, and one note on that, uh, just with regard to the Astros, you know, if 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 Wilton Lopez were not the one to replace uh, Francisco Cordero, should Francisco Cordero, or we should say maybe uh, when Frisco, Francisco Cordero is demoted, um, the the Astros, I'm looking at MLB depth charts, which is a very helpful resource uh, for a number of reasons, but um, it appears as though the Astros have just gotten like a random Latin name generator, and that and they've made they've made a bullpen out of it is 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 what they do. They have um, they they really it's it, it, yeah it's as if someone was asked to make up the names of people from uh, Central and South America, and then that was what they produced. I'm uh, pretty sure they have two F. Rodriguez's, and I don't even know if one of them is like the old Felix Rodriguez or. Uh, no, I don't think there's. There, they definitely have multiple Fernandos. Uh, <laughs> they do have a Francisco now too. Um, you know, it'd be, oh, Francisco Rodriguez. Yeah, right. If you, well, it'd be best if you could combine Ben Francisco and Francisco Cordero, because neither of them is productive really in and of himself. But if you combine their talents, that'd be a good twenty-fifth man for your roster, right? Just have Ben Cordero. Ben, well, or Ben Francisco. 
Cordero. I was thinking it. Yeah, but that would be <laughs> that'd be useful for everybody, and that way you could you know you could add someone else to two twenty five man, which would be helpful. Yeah, I don't. I don't. You know, back on topic. Jeez, uh, I don't know that uh, I could even tell you a third a third seat because I like David Carpenter coming to the season. He has a nice big fastball and a little bit a little bit of control problems. Uh, he's gone. He was in that uh, deal to uh, to Blue Jays. To Blue Jays, right? Uh, Wesley Wesley Wright is their loogie. He has great looking numbers, but he's a bit of a loogie. Uh, yeah, I think uh, a bit of him. I mean, certainly just watching him pitch. Yes, he comes. He, he yeah. comes uh, way over from the left side. Yeah. So it's unlikely so, that, that he would be an option. You know, I, Reiner Cruz is a kind of cool uh, Rule Five pickup they got from the Mets. Throws real hard, but so far, you know, seven seven K nine. I don't know about that. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't know who I'd tell you that would be next. Right. I think that it's pretty much going to be Wilton Lopez. Okay. Well, I, I guess we can wait for that. Uh, right. And I don't think that uh, Jeff Lonow and company in the Astros front office, I don't think that at this point bullpen is their first priority. I think they're pretty clear on the fact that, you know, um, having the correct arms for high leverage situations is, is the uh, – you know, quickest way for them to get better at this point. They have some other holes that uh, certainly could use filling. <laughs> Which is probably why they, they traded away David Carpenter. Right, right. Because you um, can, yeah. But, uh, it, you know, it's also interesting. I mean, you know, Wilton Lopez is is, is a good reliever. Um, <clears throat> you know, keeping him out of the closer role keeps him cheaper. But I, I doubt the front office, I doubt the front office is, is telling the manager what to do about that at this point. Right. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think that would make sense. But in any case, all right. So that so that's that. And then uh, we should get to at least well one or two other trades. Uh, of course, the uh, the Yankees acquired Ichiro Suzuki from the Seattle Mariners. Uh, that was probably a trade that's more uh, meaningful for for Ichiro, you know, his his abilities as a younger player and for what he meant to the Mariners over, you know. At least the first eight years there, and then, you know, his last two have been, uh, you know, less productive. Um, Ichiro, at some level, is going to be a replacement for Brett Gardner in New York. Brett Gardner, who I think is out for the season, you can correct me if I'm wrong there. Now the question is though, what's going on? I guess in right field in Seattle. I know, I think Carlos Paguero got the first start after Ichiro's departure. I haven't been paying attention since then. I know they have kind of a bunch of middling guys, Trayvon Robinson, Casper Wells. Michael Saunders has been a, a breakout player this year, but um, I think with Gutierrez, Franco Gutierrez still on the DL, he's probably playing center. Anyway, I just said a lot of names. Can you actually tell us what the facts are? Well, the weird thing about all of them is that they all have strikeout problems. Right. I mean, every single one of them. Um, so, <clears throat> I don't know, it's sort of like uh, Oakland North or something. But uh, they've got uh, Figueroa, I think, probably the worst strikeout problems out of all of them. <clears throat> and, um, I mean, it's pretty pretty intense. He's struck out 15 times this year in 45 plate appearances. Right, and that actually sounds good for him, if, uh, from what I remember from his, <laughs> his minor league numbers. I mean, that actually sounds, I mean, I'm not joking, like, that sounds like, 
a, like a yeah. step up for him because at least that there have been players in the majors who struck out in a third of their plate appearances and, and been productive at the same time. But there is a threshold at some point where it doesn't work. Where, anymore. where regardless, right? Yeah, regardless of how many walks you're taking, it's you know it's hard to be in a bad about Chris Davis line or something. Chris Davis, yeah, Chris Davis has certainly approached that, but he never really had. I mean, he, Chris Davis never really hit the number of home runs that you would expect from him, or or took the walks that a person, you know, with his other sort of tools, you know, you'd expect to be taking. Um, yeah, that's weird. I mean, sort of certainly Adam, the- Adam Dunn is a case of a player who can walk, uh, you know, does walk a lot and hits a lot of home runs. It's a patron saint. Of that, right? Sure, but there's, you know, that's. He's an outlier in that regard because he can strike out, you know, maybe 35 plus 40% of the time and still be productive. But that's it, really. I mean, there's no, there's not like a whole laundry list of these guys. Um, yeah, and I don't, I don't think that. Yeah, I don't know about Figueroa, so I wouldn't, <clears throat> I wouldn't uh, pick him up or anything. And, and he's a lefty, so I don't know. He could get some at bats against righties. Casper uh, Wells is a righty. Um, actually, kind of like Wells. He's a little athletic, you know, got a little bit of pop. Um, I'm checking his splits right now, uh, but the Internet is out again. Anyway, uh, I think it's going to be Pastor Wells mostly. Um, you know, Trayvon Robinson will get a shot now. I mean, they, I just looked at a depth chart that had Sean Diggins in, in left field. So, um, But in any I case, that, do, do any of the options – Excite you in the least? <clears throat> Casper Wells is sort of exciting. At least against lefties, um, you know, when he has a platoon advantage, you know, he can show a little bit more power. Um, but he's he's a deep leaguer. None of them none of them are exciting to me in terms of uh, sort of a normal mixed league. Um, Trayvon Robinson, if you ever sort of figured it out. Um, might be very toolsy, but um, yeah, none of them are very exciting. I don't. They have a hard time. Uh, it seems to me they have a hard time developing position players. Okay. The uh, I, I want to do one more trade. I want to do one more trade. Yeah. We can discuss Duda maybe briefly. The trade I want to discuss is the um, the trade that sent Anibal Sanchez and Omar Infante to Detroit. Justin Turner comes back. I'm not sure if he's in the rotation immediately. Um, this actually discussing this um, will answer some of the questions, perhaps, that we asked before about Emilio Bonifacio at all, because I, I don't think there's any question of how uh, Omar Infante and Anibal Sanchez fit with their new club, the Detroit Tigers. But of course, dealing. Omar Infante leaves a, an opening at second base for um, for the Marlins, and that's where on th- on Wednesday night that's where that's where Emilio Bonifacio played it was at second base um, with Solano at yeah. third. So even if Solano proves incapable of holding down third base, and you do move Emilio Bonifacio over to third, then you have a hole at second. I think that at this point it looks like Bonifacio will be playing infield, seeing as there are essentially two holes. There, if you include Solano as one of one of those, the uh, now what's going on? Do, do we know what's going on with their rotation um, at the moment? Because we know that that they've lost 
uh, Anibal Sanchez now, and um, you know, well, of course, there's there's some discussion of of uh, Josh Johnson going away, but they have Mark Burley. We know uh, they've had Carlos uh, Zimbrano, and I guess uh, I mean, is Eovaldi? Is he does he make sense to to fill in in that in that five spot behind those those four other guys? The, and I should say Eovaldi is the uh, is the right-handed pitcher, good velocity. Sort of middling strikeout rates relative to that. Uh, who came over for Henley Ramirez? Yeah, you know, I actually, I wonder um, if I would. I think what's gonna ha- what's gonna happen is that Eovaldi is gonna pitch in the major leagues because he's got a little bit more experience in the major leagues. Um, at the very least, he has a nice uh, 95 mile an hour fastball. Um, so I-, I think that's what's gonna happen. But I wonder if the right move wouldn't be to uh, play Ivaldi in the minor leagues and, and put Turner in uh, the major leagues, or we're just filling the gaps with they got Wade LeBlanc, just you know, get, put both guys in the minor leagues because the problem that Ivaldi has right now is that he has a great fastball. Uh, well, the fastball can be a little bit straight, but he has a pretty good fastball and it has a great velocity, 95, uh, and he's a great slider. So it's a it's a, it's a major league slider. It's a good slider, and. The curveball and change are, are no good right now, and he's trying to do a cutter. But the cutter cutter is pretty similar to a slider, and so I don't think you're, what you're going to find is that if you're a right-hander with a fastball slider, you have platoon issues and lefties murder you. Um, and I don't think that a cutter really solves that situation. So I would I would I, I don't know if the Dodgers weren't doing this or if they were doing this. I know that they want him to work on the curveball and changeup, but you know, if if you're not worried about his trade value, and maybe the Dodgers were worried about his trade value, what you could do is just tell Uvalde, throw, you know, we want you to throw 30% curveballs and change-ups. It doesn't matter what the results are. Um, you know, something like that. That does sound like there. something they'd be more likely to do if they demoted him. I mean, you still want to give the impression of winning major league games, and generally right. speaking, it's it's difficult to try things out against major league hitters. Exactly. So, I think I would, you know, if I if I were, you know, if I had my GM hat on, I I put Wade LeBlanc in, Evaldi and Turner. Just, uh, you know, it's harder to to trade a guy a second time. So once you've traded for a guy, you've uh, his other team has acknowledged whatever flaws or, or gotten whatever trade value they're going to get out of him, and you're maybe not as consumed with this, with any possible trade value. You don't need to keep his numbers looking good in any way. You can you can tell him. We need you to get out here and do this, and and maybe Turner needs to do something. I don't. I, I feel like Turner has a pretty good arsenal. I don't know what he's missing. Uh, I know Jack Moore wrote a great piece about where he's actually commanding the fastball. Maybe they can just focus on that. But I know that Eovaldi is missing uh, a third pitch. Right, uh, and really right, and one that would get lefties out. That would be more yeah. effective getting lefties out. Uh, okay. Well, all that's noted. I just I want to touch talk about Duda for for a moment. I guess you you you've been um, excited about Duda since you I mean since the preseason. I know you have maybe since earlier than that, but certainly as a fantasy option in 2012, you've been excited about him uh, going back to you know to mock drafts. Uh, he didn't he didn't really do a lot to. Pay you back for your allegiance, you know. Yeah. And now he's—I believe—he's a minor leaguer now and playing in Buffalo. Is that right? 
Yeah, and it's it's interesting. I think the thing that I've sort of found most interesting about this is that, uh, you know, I, I walk a line writing for the front of Fangraphs and writing and being the Rotographs editor. I walk a line between sort of real and 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 fake baseball, and you know, even when I was touting uh, touting Duda, and, and for the record, I sort of touted him as a, a dollar end game player and. That's how I own him. The one time that I, I overpaid for him does hurt. You know, I got paid about 15 bucks for him in one auction. That was way too much. But I knew it was happening as it was happening. And, I, and someone pointed out that I contributed to the problem with Duda, where if I paid a dollar for him like I normally did, then that's fine. But the more that I talked about him, the more other people read about him, and the more his price went up and the less he was a sleeper. <laughs> uh, but anyway, my, my, my real point was this. Um, I knew that Duda had defense problems, um, and I actually think that the defense problems are a big part of why he gets sent. He got sent down. They, they talk about getting his bat going, but they gave Ike Davis a really long time to get his bat going, uh, and that's because Ike Davis is a good defender at first base, and he was still giving the team value. Uh, Duda's been below replacement because he's been so bad with the glove. He's maybe the worst right fielder in the game by metrics this year. Um, and I don't, from the eye test, I don't see him getting any better. But what I thought w- was that in fantasy, his bat would be good enough that he would keep the job over his defense problems and then possibly get traded at some point uh, to a team that needed a first baseman or a DH. So I still think that some of that can happen. I don't think that necessarily his work with the bat was so terrible, especially in on-base percentage leagues where he had like something like a 340 on-base percentage. Uh, his non-homer power sort of disappeared this year. He either hit a homer or hit a single and nothing in between. He only had 10 doubles. So I don't really have an explanation for that. Um, and obviously it was a long shot sleeper because Duda, you know, it, Duda hit seven home runs in college, um, for his whole college career. So he's a, a very interesting case of where he didn't really have power. He was drafted. He developed power. And now, in sort of his peak age range, he should have power. Uh, but it's still an open question. It hasn't worked out so far, but I think he'll get his back going. I, I think there's a possibility of a trade for him. You know, do you think that there's there's such thing, and, and this is uh, totally apropos of your interest in Duda, do you think there's such thing as knowing too much about a player or being too familiar with a player? Because you also do write for, or certainly have written for, Amazing Avenue, I think you follow the Mets more closely than you follow any other team. My guess is you see Duda more than you see most other right fielders or wherever he was playing. Do you think there's such thing as being too familiar with a player, that, that merely that intimacy sure. will will make you interested in him? I mean, you're basically calling me a homer, uh, and it's, it's cool. No, 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 uh, no, no, no think... I'm not, I, but it's not necessarily that. It's not necessarily that. It's just... It, by virtue of the fact that you are a Mets fan, you have you you, so, you see Duda. It's a little more complicated than that. I agree. I, I've also interviewed him, and I and I and I've sat with him and talked about these things. And he is such a great guy. He is not your typical major leaguer in that he's quiet um, and he's unassuming, and uh, he's just this big old ox. He seems like one of these kind of gentle giant guys. Um, and he's obviously had struggles, and he's a really hard worker. So, yes, I, 
all those things I just said do not mean anything in the box score um, for the most part. And maybe for other players, I'm better at ignoring those things. So, it's yeah, it's not homerism necessarily. It's a little bit more about the access. Um, the problem of access is the the more closer you get to these guys, the the maybe a little bit more of your judgment can be clouded. Right. Well, and also you assume, uh, you know, perhaps, I mean, makeup does matter, uh, and I don't know if there are any studies because it's hard to quantify what makeup is, but but makeup, if, if a guy is uh, particularly thoughtful, perhaps, or a good teammate, then I mean, being a good teammate could help get you playing time. Uh, being thoughtful could help you deal with uh, difficulties as they arise. Uh, certainly being hardworking, you know, if you spent more time in the batting cage than other players. You know, th- this is where that thing called makeup, and that's sort of like a, a huge swath of, of different things that, that that word designates. That's where it matters, and it, sends, it seems like you had exposure to his, but, you know, I, you know, I guess it reveals the talent is uh, also part of it, which, you know, as you noted before with regard to, well, I don't know, who, whoever it was, it, He's a better baseball player than you. Oh, is Francisco Cordero, maybe, or et cetera. Solano. Uh, he's still... Solano. Who was it? Solano. Oh, yeah, right. Something Solano. But, you, you know, yeah. And I think that the the easiest way to put it into sort of a soundbite is uh, makeup is great, but makeup does not make a first baseman into a shortstop. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I don't, you know, there is... Duda is a, a patience guy, a patience and power guy. Uh, we know we know from research that power takes uh, a long time to quote unquote stabilize. That uh, power is the hardest thing to sort of figure out, um, and that it takes a large sample and it takes a long time to really figure out what true talent power looks like. So um, I would just say that you know I don't think we we still don't know what Duda's major league true talent power looks like. Um, we do know that he's a patient hitter that doesn't strike out on the Adam Dunn level. So at the plate, he can be valuable, um, even with sort of major league average power, but he needs to be a first baseman. Um, and so, you know, I guess maybe a trade, you know, the, the, the Mets are going to try him in left field. The makeup is going to help him because it's going to help him try and be better on defense. And it'll help them get through what I guess is a trying time. But um, really, he needs to be a first baseman. And just watching him in the field. And you know, I I did a good job for the front of Fangraphs saying, and this just came up recently because Josh Reddick had that great catch where he climbed the um, the fence and, and and caught that ball, basically going over the fence. And uh, and. I said at the beginning of the year, oh, you know, Josh Reddick is, he's not a fourth outfielder because some people are calling, you know, why would you trade Andrew Bailey and, um, why would you trade your fourth outfielder for another fourth outfielder and Andrew Bailey? What's going on there? But I was like, you know, Josh Reddick is not a fourth outfielder. He's, he's got emerging power, uh, decent patience and, uh, he's a, he's a great, uh, he's a great outfield defender, uh, corner outfield defender. And, that's why I was thinking that some of this is about real versus fantasy because I got so into, you know, Duda's, you know, play at the plate that I sort of forgot that defense matters so much in real baseball that it can 
affect fantasy baseball. Well, thank you for the, that confessional moment, Saris. It's been, it's been very good. Uh, you're clearly more sensitive now. Uh, now you know that you've entered fatherhood. I think you're allowed to uh, <laughs> a little more introspective. Well, it hasn't been the easiest week for me, but I, I will say that my Twitter followers have been pretty nice to me. Uh, I've gotten a little bit of uh, a little bit of blowback on this Buddha thing, but um, I think most people were happy. I wrote a little sort of confessional type piece about what I learned from Duda this year. Yeah, I saw and, that. Uh, well, that's yeah, that was partly why I wanted to pursue that. I, I think it's interesting. You, know, you get excited about a player, and then you learn from, uh, you know, well, yeah, even if a player like that was totally primed for excellence, stuff can happen. Um, in this particular case, maybe you find out some of the things that can happen, and you know, I think it's possible that Duda, while again a talented ball player, maybe was not primed for excellence, but uh, something less than that. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know really what that experience is like. All of my uh, <laughs> infatuations, they turn out to be uh, just as amazing, as I would suggest. I think we all remember Charlie Blackman, who's uh, certainly in the running this, for this year's NL MVP award. <laughs> for the MVP this yeah. year. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's actually yeah, been, Malcolm, uh, it should be said. He's Malcolm Miller right now. Uh, he's actually, Malcolm Miller's actually been good the last month, but that's about it. No, I mean... Uh, uh, he's he's probably a relief pitcher. He's probably a decent major league relief pitcher, um, so his stuff can play up a little bit. And he d- he's going to get a lot of ground balls wherever he is, but that's not a uh, that's not going to happen. Well, you look like you're about to uh, win uh, the staff on New League this year. Yeah, uh, yeah. Looks uh, it's still going to be me and Jackie, and then uh, and then Paul Swiden, who, who people will his name people will recognize. He's back there. I don't think he's going to catch us. And then uh, Robert Sanchez, our editor, our site editor, who sends down hateful directives regarding the Oxford comma and uh, <laughs> ordinal abbreviations from on high. <laughs> he, uh, he's, he's around, too. He's around, too. But I think it's me, me and Jackie Moore right now. Well, then uh, kudos to Moore because he's also in second in the experts league. Yeah, so he's been doing well. He's got a lot of teams a too. Great fan of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's done all right. Uh, well, cool. We'll stay uh, stay around for a bit of adult uh, conversation if you would, you know. But for now, let's uh, let's say goodbye to the podcast, which has featured us not knowing, uh, which has featured us not knowing who where J A Hap is. Uh, but I think that maybe we can be excused. We're on top of everything. Right, 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 right. All right, so that is... We located him. We located him. We did find him, right. Before the podcast was over, we, we realized where he was. Uh, but thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Eno. Thank you. All right, that's Eno Saris, the uh, editor of, of Rotographs and, I guess, Pangraphs contributor. Generally, uh, I'm Carson Sestouli, and this has been Fangraphs, I should say, Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. <laughs>